0: Him a hand this morning. Would you give them a hand? <clears throat> Love Christmas time. There's just so much going on and all of it's so good. Uh, I hope you will take one of these ornaments. Have, have, have you already gotten it yet? The, the angel ornament in the back? Last week it was the shepherd's crook. We pick that up as a sign that God gets us, he's with us, he came so close, he got close to stinky shepherds, he ought to be able to get close to us too. So that was last week. This week, uh, we take home the symbol of the angel, singing glory to God. Uh, Gifts, they're just a part of Christmas, aren't they? Uh, They always have been. Uh, From the very beginning, there's a lot of other things that happen at Christmas that may be add-ons or our own traditions or that sort of stuff. But this idea of gift-giving goes all the way back uh, really to the original story. Uh, You remember the gifts. The wise men came bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. And it's amazing how those guys from so far away, it, almost, it had to be the providence of God, the same God that hung the star in the sky and called them from a faraway land must have put upon their hearts the right gifts to bring because they were even symbolic of who this young child was that they hardly knew. They brought gold, a gift for a king. They brought frankincense, uh, a gift for a priest. They brought myrrh. Uh, A spice that was to adorn those who were dead. As if they seemed to understand, or at least heaven understood, that this was a life born to be sacrificed, born to die. I don't know how they could have known all that or known just the right gift to give, but all of us, every Christmas, struggle, don't we, with, oh, what does he want? What would really be right for her? And, and most of us don't get twelve of the same gift for our 12 friends. Well, some of us do. We're just that lazy. but 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 most of us, most of us care what kind of gift we give. It almost says something about what we've noticed and who they are to us. Uh, the wise men, they brought their gifts: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, but Christmas wasn't just for those who had a lot of cash or a lot of means. Uh, Christmas is not just for the wealthy. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, so poor I couldn't pay attention? Anybody ever heard? So poor I couldn't pay attention. Well, that's how poor the shepherds were. But it doesn't matter how poor you are, you can pay attention. You really can You can pay attention. They didn't bring their treasures, but they brought some things that in our minds are even more precious sometimes. The the gift of their attention, the gift of their time, the gift of their testimony. And that doesn't cost us anything, but the willingness of a heart to give it. At our home team this last week, we were sharing the kind of tr- Christmas traditions that, that, were, that were dear to us. And, and one of those in our home team shared that in uh, Christmases, even when they could afford to get gifts for one another, they had established this tradition that as they gathered as a family, each person would bring a, 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 a customized, personalized Christmas message. Uh, a, a what you mean to me card that they had written out in their own hand and from their own heart. And and on, on Christmas Day, their favorite gift was to take one person at a time in their family and let everybody read their letter. Wow! I think that's so cool. So cool. Sometimes maybe the greatest gifts we have to share are the gifts that really don't cost us cash. They just cost us our caring. The shepherds, they, they brought that gift. But, I, you know... Even the angels brought a gift, and I think this is important. You know, the angels—this was not their first time to give gifts to Jesus. They knew Him better than anyone. You see, Jesus was pre-existence. He, li- he He lived with the Father and the Spirit in heaven from the very beginning. In fact, through Jesus, all things were created. He was a, a the pre-existent part of of the Trinity, and so the angels had already known Jesus in His in His. Uh, Uh, pre-incarnational personality they knew exactly who that baby was. And you can imagine if they had known him that long and known him that well, they perhaps better than anyone else knew the right gift to bring. Listen this morning and see if you don't hear that gift in the reading of the scripture. It comes from Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Can you imagine? And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. Which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. They sang it. They praised God. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has, uh, that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they, they made known the statement, which had been told them about this child, their testimony. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them the shepherds eventually worshiped him that night because the angels did so at first what was the gift that the angels gave it was worship it was worship and you might say to yourself well you know that's that's, that's not a very practical gift is it I mean, I mean i mean worship the angels filled the night with their song and their light and their joy Was it then just all gone? No, there was a ripple effect. Even the shepherds got in on it eventually. But worship, you know, gold at least is, well, that comes in handy when you're going to take a trip in the middle of the night to Egypt and try to sustain yourself. Gold is is a bit more practical, don't you think? And uh, wouldn't those be better gifts? But I, I would say to you that worship is perhaps the best gift that we can possibly give at Christmas. Worship comes from the old English word, uh, Worth a skippy or something like that. Worth ascribed. That is worship. To ascribe worth. That's what it means. To put God in his proper place. To recognize his worth above, uh, above all things. To ascribe worth is to worship. And the good news is that God seeks worshipers. Not just that that's something we manufacture, but, but, but God comes seeking those who worship. For the God who comes, worshipers are what welcome him. Matthew four twenty two. Jesus actually said to the woman at the well. Do you remember that little encounter? She she at first was skeptical. She said, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for water? What is your ulterior motive? You know, are are you expecting me to be one of those women that happen to be available in the middle of the day to workers who come to a fountain? Have you misjudged my character? Or do you not recognize that I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and you have nothing to do with us? And Jesus later on would say what she needed to know that It wasn't just he that was seeking her in him. God was seeking her. He saw her as one who could worship in spirit and in truth. And for people just like her, the spirit still seeks. He says a time, an hour is to come. And yet now is. When those who worship him shall worship God in spirit and in truth from the heart God came, Jesus came, in part I believe, to open up for us a depth and a richness of worship that no one could have experienced quite in that way before because now we know ever more how much this God is worth. He's a treasure. He's worth more than anything else. God seeks true worshipers. We, we, we also uh, are those, you know, you, you may say to yourself, well, you know, uh, I'm just the average Joe. You know, I, I, I kind of stay pretty practical in my life. If, if you're looking at me, you're probably not looking at a worshiper. Really? Really? Don't, don't we all worship something? Isn't that almost innate to what it means to be human? We're finite creatures. We, we look for things to satisfy us, to entertain us, to to ascribe worth to. If that's worship, then which one of us doesn't worship? You know? Max Lucado tells the story of when he was about seven or eight years old. He, 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 had, he had the Christmas gift that was to beat all Christmas gifts. Any one of you ever had one of those on your Christmas list back at one time? That that gift that if you had that, that would complete Your childhood. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it was a Lionel train. But for him, it was a red Schwinn bicycle with high handlebars and a banana seat. I had a purple one. I know exactly what he's talking about. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that gift that if, if you just had that, it, it would not only carry you places, it would deliver you. In some ways, it would come to redefine you. You would now be the cool kid on the block. Your identity would be secure. Your forever would be secured. You 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 would be the Redback Schwinn wine, uh, riding kid. You would be the James Dean. Um, the James Dean. Uh. I don't even know who's that cool anymore, uh, but cool, that's what I'm saying, cool, just, just off the charts, cool, and, and don't we all have those obsessions from time to time with things that seem to eclipse that which is most worthy, you know? Um, maybe it was the degree if you just had the degree then life was set or, or maybe it was that first job or the promotion or maybe it was the right relationship with the right person in high school that never paid you any attention and then it moved to the mr or mrs right and then and then it became the the perfect marriage and there, there there's always things that we can put in that slot for which only he who is ultimately worthy fits right and, and, and the sad part about that is whenever we take lesser things and put them in that place in our lives, they can't handle the pressure. They, they, they almost always crumble, don't they? I mean, whenever we ascribe ultimate worth to something that is not the ultimate, it, 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 we depend on it in such a way that we crush it under the weight of our own expectations. How many things have we ever had that kind of obsessive connection with and that drive for and that ascribing of worth about that that eventually they didn't come to uh, disappoint us? What are those things that we were in first so enthralled in that later we only have anger for? Are you with me? There's a place... For God in this ascension of those things that we ascribe worth to. And his place is at the top. But whenever we take lesser things and treat them like ultimate things. We, we by nature of the very. We're setting ourselves up uh, for disappointment. We're setting ourselves up to expect too much. Misdirected worship seems always to come to disappoint us. And we can put anything in that slot. Even people who have no understanding or, or thought of God at all worship something. They, they, they worship food or they worship money or they worship fame or they worship power. or They worship sex. We worship all these things that tend to promise us some sense of identity and security. We worship our career. We worship a perfect relationship. We worship the perfect job. The initial infatuation almost always loses its fizz. Misdirected worship almost always disappoints. But redirected worship, whenever we find ourselves at the end of one of those bad scenarios, redirected worship always renews. You know what right worship does for the soul Right worship for the soul does the same thing that a good rain does for a thirsty field. To worship and worship rightly that that is, and he who is of most worth, is to let your soul become soaked. Worship seeps deep. Worship stirs life. And worship, you see, is more than, uh, than just a redirection of the heart. It's more than just another option. It is, it is the ultimate option. It's a, it's a redirection, yes, but it's a redirection with the wind of God behind it, within it. It can make all the difference. It was Christmas Eve in 1915. You'll recognize those years as in the middle of World War I and in northern France, the fighting had been going on for weeks and months. The tire, the soldiers were tired and cold, but everyone seemed to recognize that that night was Christmas Eve and there was a strain, un, strange, uncalled for ceasefire that evening. The bullets bullets stopped firing and after a while the Welch in one set of trenches listened from the German set of trenches on the other side of that bloody battlefield and they heard a familiar tune. The Germans, in German, were singing a Welch song of the holidays. A Christmas song. And something happened that night that most people still find hard to believe. At that moment... Something shifted, and those young men in those different trenches, hardened by war, all of a sudden became all together just a bunch of young men that were missing home. In that moment, they recognized something in their enemy that they recognized in their friends. That that really they even the enemy were worshiping the same God and the Welsh, in their language, started to sing along with the Germans the, the same Christmas carol. And, and when, when that one was finished, the, the, then the Welsh struck up one and the Germans seemed to know that in their language and they sung along and until the, the dawn of the next morning, they, they sang their carols back and forth to one another. And then at the dawn, two very brave soldiers stuck their heads up out of the trench and crawled up onto the, the war field and, and walked towards each other. And as they got close in the morning dawn, they could see each other's face and realized that they were not facing someone who considered themselves an enemy. <laughs> and one, the German said, Hello, Tommy. And the one from the other side said, Hail, Fritz! And his pointy hat came off his helmet and he gave it to his Welsh friend. And the Welsh friend pulled buttons off of his uniform. He didn't have a gift, but he found one and he he gave it to the German. And they asked for a smoke and they shared a smoke. And the men from the different trenches were watching this happen. And as they did, they started coming up out of the trenches. And they, they met out there on that field. And then something really strange happened. A game broke out. I don't know where they had a ball or what they made into a ball, but 150 on each side had a soccer match. They they played games with one another. They were just boys enjoying each other's fellowship. My friends, praise is powerful. Praise can turn a warrior into a worshiper. Praise is the weapon of the psalmist. You want to loosen Satan's grip on your life or loosen Satan's grip on a city? Worship. Worship. Praise is more powerful than that even the weapons of destruction that we've created in this world, praise is a weapon of heaven. And praise can change men's hearts because it redirects our hearts. Praise is powerful. An hour is coming. There will be that day when the horns of heaven blow again. That Advent is coming that will call all of us from our warring ways to an endless worshiping fellowship. A day when enemies will be made friends again all because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But we live between those Advents and between now and then we can practice (laughs) for that day. If you would give Christ a gift and discovered it's not just a gift you give him, but a gift that blesses you back all the more, then I would invite you to engage this Christmas in the power of praise. Worship. Worship expressively. Expressively. I mean, give yourself to it. I I know there was a a song uh, some years ago. Uh, I, I believe it was Willie's song. You're always on my
1: mind. Right? Maybe I never told you. I'm so happy that you're mine.
0: Maybe I never showed you. I don't even sure those are the right words, but you remember the song? You remember remember the song? Now, I, I, I'm just guessing from those words, I don't know Willie's story terribly well, but I'm, I'm guessing this guy probably didn't have a very strong romantic life. Are you Guys, let, let me ask you, uh, which one of your wives would buy that? Maybe I never told you, but you were always on my mind. Huh? Would that work? If, if that won't work with your girlfriend, and it sure won't work with your wife, You know, I told you when I married you, I loved you. I was 30 years ago. It stands till I I repute it. That, that, (laughs) where's the romance? That, that ain't going to get you very, you know, that's not good. And if that, if that won't work for, for our, our broken human hearts, do you think it's really worthy of God? Well, Lord, you know, I never praised you and I never really worshiped you, but you know, you, you were always on my mind. No. No, if, if, if he is worthy of our worship, then he is worthy of our worship. All out, all we are, wholehearted worship. And if you worship God with your whole heart, your mouth and everything else about your life is probably going to get involved. I love what John Wesley said. Uh, do you know that in the front of the United Methodist Hymnal, and we don't, we don't use them here that often. Uh, we've gone to screens primarily. But in the front of the United Methodist Hymnal, we, we've saved John Wesley's directions for singing. He actually has seven. Are you aware of them? And, and, and this is number four. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep but lift your voice with strength be no more afraid of your voice now no more ashamed of being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan (laughs) sing all of you see that you join the congregation as frequently as you can let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you if it is a cross to you then take it up and you will find it a blessing sing modestly do not bawl so as to be heard above the, or distinct from the rest of the congregation that you may not destroy the harmony but strive to unite your voices together. I'm so glad he said that so I wouldn't have to. Isn't that good? He said, sing in time. And then finally he said, above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word that you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away merely with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve here and reward you when he comes in the clouds of heaven. Thank you, Mr. Wesley. He wasn't divine, but I think a lot of the time he got it right. Wow. Wow. Sing expressively. Sing expressively. Worship in such a way that it expresses your whole whole heart. I love that moment in a, in a wedding service, you know, where, where, where they've <laughs> pledged and, uh, and it comes time to share the token. You know, they, they, they're going to put the ring on each other's hands. Cheryl, with this ring... With all that I am, and with all that I have, I honor you. That's saying it. And if we can express it like that in an to one that we love that deeply, what would be appropriate towards the one that calls us his bride? With all that I am and with all that I have, I honor you. And that's the power of worship. It's not just a change of mind. It's a giving of your whole self. That's what worship is about. That's what makes it so powerful. And it's not just a powerful thing given to God. It's a powerful thing as it gives you unto God the power that then that worship can have in your own life. You know? When we're aware of who it is that we've given ourselves to, everything about our circumstances can really change. Let me come back to that. Well, no, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, shares the idea of, the, the Atlantic Ocean that can be tossed with incredible storms and hurricanes and, until it tosses huge, almost immovable battleships in its grip, waves coming over the decks. And yet in that same hurricane horror, 50 feet down are the submarines. And they never know anything's going on. Down there, it's as peaceful as a pond on a June clear day, right? Just 50 feet down. That's what worship does. What worship does is it puts your heart in the depths so that the circumstances around you don't become that which molds you. You're in touch with something that can... Give you a strength no matter what the circumstances are around you. In 1636, Martin Reinhardt was a German pastor. And in the midst of the Thirty Years' War, he is recorded as having buried 5,000 of his parishioners. 5,000. He averaged 15 funerals a day. Fifteen funerals a day. Can you imagine doing that for 30 years? And yet in the midst of that hurricane storm, he wrote these words. Now thank we all our God with heart and hand and voices. Who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. What an incredible thing it is, not only just to to give the gift of worship, but having given it to let worship take a hold of you. So worship personally and worship together. Worship like the... Uh, worship like the shepherds did. You know, there, there, there was one who feigned to worship during this story. His name was Herod. Remember Herod? Right, you, you, you go tell, you go tell, um, you go find out where the child is. He couldn't even call him the king. It just make, gave him shutters. You go find out where the child is that, that I may come to worship him. And it was all a ruse. You know why it was all a ruse? It was because Herod was so full of self, so full of pride. From the time he was a child, he had never ceased to play that game that we all play sometimes, king of the mountain. And when king of the mountain is your game, you have a way of hurting other people around you. In fact, Caesar in Rome said of Herod in Palestine... Because he had killed his relatives and killed his own sons and killed his associates just to secure his crown and to make sure he was absolutely safe in his rule, he said this of him, that it was better to be his hog than to be his son. You'd be less likely to be butchered, was the point. Herod was all about self. and, And there's something about pride that paralyzes worship. You, you can feel it, can't you, sometimes when you worship? and Well, what will they think of me? Pride. Well, what if I came forward? Others would, you know, pride. There's, there's something about pride that has a way of paralyzing worship. Now, look at the shepherds. <laughs> I wonder why it was that the angels came and sang their song to them. Well, pride was the last thing that they could have claimed. They, they were the homeless people of the day. Those who had nothing and therefore had to keep sheep at, at night in their fields. They had no place to lay their head, and that's why many of them slept among the sheep. But but, but notice their attitude, not like Herod's. Hey, you go find out where the child is, and and then I'll worship him come after him. Of course, that was not the case. Herod intended to kill the child so that he would not be a rival to the throne. In fact, that's why he wiped out all the children, the youngest children, the youngest boys in Bethlehem. That slaughter was because of the nature of his own heart. And when we're full of pride, we hurt people. It's just the nature of... That kind of harshness, that kind of insensitivity. We find ourselves hurting people around us. But the worst side of that at all was the misery in which Herod himself died because he could not bring himself to worship. <laughs> he became a worm. Do you realize his last decree was to line up all the uh, generals and those in high government that were loved in Jerusalem at the time that he died? And he gave the order just before he died to have all of those beloved people killed so that in Judah someone would mourn instead of celebrate his death. But worship, it redirects our lives to worthy You know, when you're in the presence of the king long enough, it's amazing what you're empowered to go do. And in fact, this week, this is what I would challenge you to do. I would challenge you each day to find 15 minutes of personal worship. Sometime when you, like the shepherds, can focus on God long enough to acknowledge who he is, to get really in touch with with who it is that you're worshiping, and then notice what's going on in your own heart. I would bet that at that moment, the atmosphere of your own heart has changed from those things on the surface to something much deeper. And then I would challenge you to do what even the shepherds did. Whatever comes next. Whatever comes next. 15 minutes to worship God, to notice in your own heart, and to let God place in your heart, you know, it'd be a good time to call so-and-so. I, I need to write that note. Well, whatever it is, but 15 minutes a day to worship God and then just do the simple, next, they said, not like Herod, well, you go and I'll eventually find time in my important schedule to, to come. And all that self-important junk. These guys just said, let's go. Let's go. From the worship of the angels, their thought was, let's go. Let's go see this thing. Let's go. Let's go. How can we not go? Let's do something. You see, worship always moves us. it's, It's something that we do actively, not just contemplatively, but also actively. God calls us then to live out that change in our heart. So are you in touch with who can touch you in worship? Or are you stressed? Then worship till he who holds the universe takes hold of you. Are you ashamed? Then worship the Jesus whose love never wavers. If you're ashamed, love the Jesus whose love redefines you. If you're bereaved, worship the shepherd who comforts and leads his sheep through that deep valley. Do you feel small and insignificant? Worship. There's a place for you at the throne of Almighty God. Are you forgotten? Worship. God seeks those who worship Him in spirit and truth. And if God seeks, do you think He has difficulty finding? If you feel forgotten, Then worship.
1: Sing in exultation, sing all ye citizens.
0: It doesn't matter this morning. Your heart is as close to Jesus as was the shepherds. And yours is only a short journey to full-hearted worship. If you're as far away as the wise men were, and your journey to get to Jesus before you is still epic in its length, I promise you this, that journey is worth it. It's worth it. And God's promise to you is if you will draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Wherever you are on that spectrum, I invite you right now to a journey of drawing near to him that he might draw near to you. You don't have to if you want to sing from where you are in your seat, that's fine. But right now I challenge you to express your worship To begin to live it out actively. To come. Let us adore him. However you feel led. The journey from where you are to where this altar is down front. I invite you to make that journey right now and let it mean what God calls it to mean in your heart. Would you worship with us?